everybody, Chad here with Breakthrough, and today I'm with uh, Bob Kowalik. This is our fireside chat. Um, let me explain to you exactly what we're going to be doing here on this call. Um, we are going to cover, um, as you know, we talk about the three pillars here at Breakthrough all the time, personnel, finance, and marketing. Uh, we will be going um, through those three pillars and how you should be thinking through uh, during this crisis um, as an owner. I want to give a huge disclaimer first. Um, I'm a PT, a private practice owner, a uh, marketer. I am not an attorney, a CPA, et cetera, but I'm having to get information to make decisions. Same for Bob. Uh, you know, uh, Bob with RCS, billing specialist, former private practice owner, extremely successful, has a family of all physical therapists as well. So he's in it um, with us, but neither of us are attorneys. We're simply uh, taking the changes that are happening in the marketplace right now and getting you applicable information. So thanks for being here, Bob. I appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Thanks for doing everything you're doing for, for the PT community. Thanks, Bob. Um, so let's start with finance, your, your wheelhouse in terms of uh, billing and um, what that looks like right now. So for most of us, we're having dramatic reductions in uh, what we're billing out. So it's, and I think for every owner who's watching this, it's either a 50 or 75% reduction or we're completely closed. So how can we think about um, our, our billing and what we're doing there um, so that we have some sort of cash coming in? Yeah, so under uh, life as normal, right? Billing is about getting billing out, right? Um, it's about making sure claims are submitted. It's about posting payments, it's about transferring balances to patients and all that, and it's about managing accounts receivables. Um, and there's a, a balance of those things, which in, in most cases is not balanced quite right. Um, I can tell you that from being a data freak, studying time, investment in billing, and, and how that correlates to results for years now, that the normal proportions are accounts receivables, about 50% of all of the time in billing, Claim submission, payment posting, 20, 25% each, a little bit left over there for, for patient services stuff. So now our production's down, which means our claim submission time is down, our posting time is down. So this is, you know, always looking for silver lining, um, a great opportunity to put more focus in managing accounts receivables. So um, accounts receivables should be now the, the bulk of the time investment um, from, from billing people and, and um, really, really making sure that, um, you know, the time that's necessary to continue to convert accounts receivables to cash at, at least, if not better than your historical cash conversion rates, right? So, as soon as we treat a patient, do the notes, submit the claim, it's now accounts receivables. Even if that happened 10 minutes ago, it's accounts receivables now, okay? Um, and so at some point in time, that accounts receivable will convert to cash at a certain rate. You know, we don't get paid what we bill, right? So um, when you're in this condition of you know, crisis management, um, it's very important that you have good data and information and the ability to project what's going to happen with the relationship between revenue 
an expense. Um, and part of the revenue picture, right, is um, predicting collections, okay? And when you take that regular influx of new visits out of the formula, the kind of the calculation, um, the, the, the potential result could be drastically different because the time investment per dollar, when you're looking at accounts receivables essentially alone without a lot of new claims going out, starts to go up exponentially. The older the claim, the greater the time investment per dollar. Many, many times uh, more minutes per dollar in a 120-day old claim compared to a two-week-old claim. So that's why it's super important that you hold on to your billing time resource and dedicate it to really, really being on top of accounts receivables so that your, your expectations around cash flow are going to be realized um, because of the time investment. How about I just uh, summarize what I heard you say there okay. to make sure that I have it right as an owner. Um, in the past, so let's say we had four full-time billing people, three basically were working on submit, claim submission and posting, right? And making sure that everything was right for the claim submission. And we pretty much had one working accounts receivables. Um, and I, I would define that as anything greater than 30 days is specifically what that person was working. Mm -hmm. Now, because of um, lower production, whether that's a 75% reduction or 100% reduction where our doors are closed, um, what we should be doing is rather than laying off our entire billing staff is we should be utilizing our hours to work the accounts receivable and go get the money that we're owed. Yes. So you, so you maintain more normalcy with your cash conversion rate from accounts receivables to, to, to money in the bank. Um, I've put together a bunch of data around the typical contribution of the age of the claim to your current revenue right so the month of you know typical you know let's go to a normal a normal month let's say in, you know in february of this year before all of this happened you had whatever kind of normal collections you would have for a month that february collections came from in some part february dates of service in some part january dates of service december dates of, dates of service november maybe even way back to some kind of really old litigated claim or something that, that settled, okay? So um, a typical scenario in terms of take this month's revenue, how did, where did that come from in terms of how old the, the claim was or how far back those dates of service are is, is in the current month, about 50% of your revenue will come from in the same month, okay? about 34% of your revenue will come from a month ago, about 10% from two to three months ago. So your, your zero to 30 will be about 50% of this month's revenue. Your 30 to 60 will be about 34% of this month's revenue. Your 60 to 90 day old uh, your AR will be about 10% of this month's revenue. Your 90 to 120 will be about five or 6% of this month's revenue. And then your over 120 would be maybe 2%. I can tell you that um, once you hit 60 or older, 
the vast majority of that money and even probably some of the 30 to 60 is never going to come in without somebody doing something about it. So you're looking at um, 20 to 25, 30% of your revenue would be lost without somebody really on top of accounts receivables. That 50% that kind of comes in quickly is the easy stuff. It's the hard stuff, you know, that, that takes that extra time and the time per dollar is exponentially greater the older it is. So super important that you adjust the expectation around time management in AR for the fact that you're just over this period of time now, as you have less current money, your AR aging is going to shift to older. So your, your time per dollar investment is going to go up pretty quickly. All right. There's a natural follow-up question about this. Uh, you and I did not discuss it, but I've heard other owners talk about it in the past. I, let's say I have a, uh, I'm working with a billing company. How do I know they're actually working the AR right now? Um, So if you always calculate your time and accounts receivables, um, here, here it, it's a problem now because your, um, your front end is disappearing. So it skews all data. Um, what I would do is just start counting claims that were actually worked. Um, try to get some kind of you know, quantif quantification around um, volume of claims, you know, being worked. You want to make sure that every outstanding claim in your accounts receivables is touched and something's done that's needed every single month. Um, and that will get less over time as, as stuff converts from AR to cash. But without having actually gone through and created a math model on the, shi the, the, the shift in age strictly due to the lack of production. Um, I don't know how to adjust um, the normal data points. I could normally say track your ADO score, which is how long it's taking you to get paid divided by how long it should take. And you could assume that the should take under normal circumstances is between 25 and 30 days. Now, because you don't have the current stuff going out, that target or how long it should take time is going to get bigger um, because you only have older AR. So um, the traditional ways that we would we would monitor all the time and really know how well it's going now all of a sudden our, our, all the data is skewed and those numbers aren't going to make sense. So it comes down to how can you track or monitor um, the actionable items that need to happen day in and day out in order to keep things, you know, moving. Um, how easy, difficult is it for you to get that information out, out of an outside, you know, service depends on, I guess, who that is and whether or not they, they track it themselves. Yep. Um, but, and that, that's a fair response. I, I would definitely ask that question. I think that, you know, that, can you give me a, a, daily number or weekly number of the number of claims that you're working. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm tracking right now every day. Yeah. Every single person in AR is reporting how many claims they touched today. Great. Um, and then if I didn't get that answer, I would be very concerned <laughs> with, with who I'm working, working with. Uh, that's fair. Um, I want to get into um, 
marketing and really um, marketing, I'm going to loosely define as positioning of our, our PT services. Telehealth right now is a very hot topic. Um, I have some major concerns that we don't have a lot of therapists that are um, have ever had experience in their generating revenue. Uh, I've done it myself as a cash pay service years ago, um, and we uh, shut down that program because the 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 legal around that and compliance was very gray at the time. We were actually doing it on Skype, which was uh, not illegal at the time, but then quickly became non-HIPAA compliant as law changes were coming out. Having said that, um, I think the most valuable thing you can do here is there's a lot of confusion around what's an e-visit from like uh, CMS and the language and uh, procedures, guidelines that they put out, and then what is telehealth? And can you just help everybody watching this, every owner, just understand what the difference is between the two? Um, absolutely. I think even a little bit before that, keep in mind that you, you're a normal outpatient PT operation that's looking at how can you use some kind of virtual service as, as, as a way to supplement or you know, lost revenue, okay? Very different than somebody who has set up a company to be a tele-virtual PT operation, right? So there's a lot of stuff out there coming from the world that that's all they do all the time. You don't need to go down the path of, of completely switching your structure and your model, right? You're talking about how do you um, complement or, or implement something a little bit new as a, as a way to, to deal with visits that are lost in the clinic. So um, the e-visit is intended to provide a virtual service to an already existing client already existing patient who now because of their own choice or or not um, can't come to see you now or doesn't come to see you now in the clinic so you have now an option with the e-visit to connect to them virtually um, to discuss and you know, if you, you can if you use video great you don't even need uh, video for for the e-visit it could be you know it could be phone it could be a zoom it could be any other platform that's out there. But the idea is that for a pretty limited amount of time, you're, you're, you're having a communication with your uh, patient digitally in some way that still uh, facilitates some clinical decision-making. Um, and so uh, an e-visit is billed over a seven-day period of time, and you keep track of cumulative time for that seven-day period. So you have different, there's three different codes. Um, if you're, if it's a Medicare patient versus a non-Medicare patient. So the Medicare, you use the G206123 for a non-Medicare patient, you use 9897012. Um, they, they correspond with each other. So the first code is a five to 10 minute code. Second code is an 11 to 20 minute code. Third code's a 21 or more minutes code. Um, so <clears throat> e-visits were now expanded by CMS to allow physical therapists and occupational therapists to have this digital communication with a, with a Medicare patient that's not coming into the clinic. Um, you need to, um, 
technically establish that the patient wants to do this, right? So um, compliance people are kind of concerned about, you know, selling services to Medicare patients, right? You can educate your Medicare patient that this is an option. And if it sounds good to them, then you guys can agree to do that. Um, the reimbursement for this is fairly low. It's $13 uh, for the first code. It's about $23 if you're into the second bucket of time, and it's about 36 bucks if you're over 21 minutes. Um, so I wouldn't recommend going through a lot of expense to create a pathway to be able to do this with your patients. Just take advantage of things that are out there that are readily available and pretty easy and cheap. Um, HIPAA compliance and all that kind of stuff is being uh, really kind of, um, I don't know what the word is. It's it's more more it's less tight now. It's more flexible now. There's they're not going to um, pursue you for a HIPAA breach during an e visit today, whereas you know a year ago they they may have if you could even do it. Um, so that's what the e visit really is. It's the it's the already existing patient. I want to stay connected through a digital communication. There's a pathway for you to do it. There's a pathway for you to bill it. You do need to document um, the logic behind needing to do it, the clinical decision-making that was accomplished, the fact that the patient wants to do it. Um, and as long as you're acting in good faith, you're not reckless and, and careless with information. And as long as the patient knows that this conversation or this exchange may be happening over a, a a not secure platform and they still consent to it, then, then you're good. Um, telehealth is essentially doing an in-clinic visit, not in the clinic. It, it's, it's, so if you could, if you were explaining exercise or, or teaching someone to do balance activities or functional exercises and they're just doing that remotely, um, telehealth is billed under the same procedure codes that are time-based that you would bill if you work with somebody in the clinic doing the same thing. So your 97110, 112-116-530-535 codes are billable under telehealth. Um, and um, the reimbursement side of this uh, is all over the map state to state, payer to payer. It's kind of crazy out there right now as everyone's scrambling to, to do this and get clarification on who's covering it. So it's super important that you do a verification um, for any kind of virtual services. Um, you know, it's already approved by Medicare. So if you got a Medicare patient right now, right, that you want to flip to a few, uh, e-visits, you, you, you can do that. But if you're talking about telehealth, you could actually have a patient you've never treated become a telehealth patient. You have to do a verification for telehealth-specific benefits, um, like you would do a verification for, for in-office benefits. You just have to ask the questions around the codes that apply, the reimbursement that's there, do they have the benefit provided by a physical therapist? Because for most of the time, most of the payers, this was stuff that was um, allowed to be done by physicians. Now PT is being added to the mix. 
There are payers that never allowed PT that are now allowing PT. Um, so it's impossible to know in real time every payer in every state and what's going on. This is why you, you know, if you're, you're adding this as a new service for patients, uh, especially with new patients, you need to do the verification. And we can um, provide a sample verification form for you to follow that has all the questions on it that you would need to answer um, in doing that process. So Great. So big point I got there is there's a difference between eHealth, which is primarily Medicare, um, and can be as simple as a phone call check-in um, to obviously with clinical purpose, right? Um, and then there is telehealth. The, um, the processes around that are, can be burdensome or they can be very easy, but there is some low-hanging fruit out there that we can at least consider for uh, income loss mitigation. Yeah, and tele telehealth, you need a platform that you can do the audio and visual um, together. So doxy.me is one that a lot of um, newbies to telehealth are adopting because it's free. Um, Bluebird Health um, is one. Um, there's, there's several out there at various price points. The only little tweak I would say to what you said, Chad, was that e-visits is all it also does exist on the commercial insurance side, not just Medicare. Okay. Um, so the Medicare uses the G codes, the non-Medicare uses the the 989 codes. Um, so you can you can do both with Medicare with a, a commercial insurance. Um, uh, sorry, um, you cannot do telehealth with a Medicare patient. Okay, physical therapists are not approved for that. And because of that, because it's a non-covered service, you can decide with a Medicare patient to do that as a self-pay or a cash service at whatever fee you guys uh, agree is reasonable. So um, if it's a covered benefit, a covered service under Medicare, you have to stick within the Medicare um, reimbursement and allowable amounts and as either a participating or non-participating provider. But if it's not covered, you can work with them as a cash patient. Um, same goes for private insurance commercials. You just need to do the verifications to know whether or not there's a benefit. Great. Um, the, and I, I may be wrong on this, but at least within our private practice group, uh, talking with our partners, we're thinking of it primarily as not, um, an income replacement first, but more of as we want to keep in contact with our patients, our existing patients, so that when, as we're rebuilding on the other end of this, we have those relationships and people are reactivating um, as everybody's coming out of their um, quarantine or shelter or whatever that, that may be right now. Yeah, I think it's a great strategy to stay stay connected to patients that otherwise are, are no longer coming to the clinic. Yep. Um, third thing I want to talk about, and I know this is a uh, uh, very uncertain times to be talking about this now, but uh, the stimulus package and really with respect to personnel. So um, you and I have talked about this, you know, pretty much as employers, we have a couple of options. One is to lay off our employees. Um, another one is furlough where they maintain benefits and they have a reduction in um, their earnings either through a reduction in time or a reduction in um, salary. Can you talk about uh, the stimulus package 
and share how much you've looked at it um, and then make a highly probable prediction about how we should be thinking through how to use this um, in, in the next week or two. Yeah, when I was at PT school, I would dream about my organic chemistry chart because I stared at it for so many <laughs> minutes a day, right? Now, now I go to sleep and I see the, the, the Senate, you know, 3548 bill, um, you know, text in my head. So I've, I've literally spent hours and hours reading and rereading. It's not the easiest stuff to read because it has a lot of references to other stuff. Um, so I, I think here's the, we're talking about business decisions, right? Um, what makes sense for us as a business owner, our biggest, because we're a service business, our biggest expenses is payroll. You know, it's people. Um, and what do we do? Because we're, we're faced with declining revenue and we have to do something with expense because we can't just afford to keep paying people normally when our revenue and our, our production is down 50 plus percent. Um, so just imagine that scenario. I've got these people, I've got this payroll, I've got these FTEs, and I have this declining production. And the, the natural, responsible uh, reaction to that from any business owner is to um, preserve cash as much as possible, stay solvent, be functioning and, and alive as a business when this thing ends and we come out the other side of this. Um, and in some ways, stay connected to your people, right? Um, maintain those relationships, not just patients, but your, your, your team. Um, and that's what this stimulus bill is designed to help solve, right? It's, it's there to say, you know what, the government's going to help you fund that gap that's been created between your cost of people and your revenue related to drop in production. Um, so there's a lot of detail around how all that's going to work. Um, that's the, the fundamental concept of it, um, is to keep employers connected to employees in a way that keeps the employee being paid more than they would normally be paid now because of the loss of production. And the government's going to fund that shortfall of cash, essentially. Um, so um, you have the, the moving parts of this are is what kind of loan are you eligible to get? under this, uh, this uh, CARES Act is what it's called. Um, and so there's a calculation for that. Um, the next thing is, is uh, what can you use those funds to pay for? Um, and then the third thing is, is, is um, how much of that loan that you may or may not take is actually going to be forgiven, which therefore makes it free money. Um, and so, and I say that term loosely because there is no such thing as free money, right? I mean, it's trillions of dollars. We're all going to pay for it somehow or another at some point. Um, but, um, you know, so the, the first thing about understanding what's available to you, you take your average, you know, cost essentially for the past year on a monthly basis for the past year. Um, so your average payroll, your average rent, mortgage payment, and any kind of debt service that you um, pay for. Take what a normal 
monthly average of that is and multiply it by four. And that's how much money you can borrow under the stimulus bill. Um, I, then, I, I didn't understand that. Is okay. that, so that's a monthly average. Yes. So, so. if I, yep, if my, uh, if my payroll is 50,000 a month, my rent's 10,000 a month, I got a $5,000 a month bank loan. All of that adds up to 65,000. Multiply that by four, 260 grand is what you could borrow. Got it. Um, now, what can I spend it on? You can spend it on those same things, basically. Payroll, rent, utilities, paying off, you know, or making payments on, on debt service that you have, uh, that obligations that existed prior to March 1st. Um, and, and if you, this is where it gets a little tricky. Um, the government's saying, we're gonna give you this money in a way that if you meet certain conditions, you won't have to pay some of it back. Um, if you, there's a before period, without getting into lots of details, right? There's a before period that's defined, and there's a after period, which is the eight weeks after you would actually have taken the loan. So you're gonna, you, there's a comparison of that eight weeks after the loan to a covered period before the loan with respect to your FTEs and your payroll dollars. And so what they want to do is say, well, if, if you are maintaining the same FTE that you used to have after you've taken the loan, and you're maintaining at least 75% of your payroll dollars after you've taken the loan compared to before, then for the things uh, that you're allowed to spend the, the loan on, you don't have to pay that money back. Um, if your FTEs are dropped, let's say to, to X percent of normal, 50% of normal, then 50% is, is forgiven, not 100%. If your payroll dollars are maintained at 75% or higher of normal, it's, it, you know, it's both of those things. It's not one or the other, so you have to meet both conditions. Um, but if you're below 75%, then that percent would come off too. So the, the name of the game really is figure out what you can borrow, um, this is my opinion. Hear that loud and clear, this is opinion, right? We're not giving financial advice, we're not giving legal advice, but I believe, and what I'm, what I'm looking at applying it to my own business is um, I'm going to calculate the forgivable amount of money that I'm allowed to borrow and borrow it and make sure that I meet the conditions that I don't discount or, or reduce the forgivable amount in the eight weeks following taking the money, and then it will be forgiven. So um, to, to the extent that you have forgivable money to borrow, I believe it's a no-brainer. Um, if you are borrowing more than your forgivable amount, now what you have is a government-funded low-interest loan that needs to be repaid over on a 10-year amortization with, with the payment, uh, first payment being deferred for um, 
six, it's either six months or a year. I'm, I'm not clear on which it is right now. So that's basically the structure of the program. Um, I believe it truly is uh, a lifeline being thrown to, to small business. You have to be under 500 employees. Um, you have to have been in business on March 1st of this year. You have to have had some payroll and payroll tax expense. Um, as long as you don't already have an SBA loan given to you for the purpose of helping you pay payroll, um, you can get the loan. You can't be, uh, you can't be turned down. Great. Um, may, may, great today. I'm not sure what it means for us five years from now, but, yeah, uh, yeah. that we'll hold that for another discussion. So I just want to recap for everybody. Um, I, they're, they're, Bob just gave you a ton of nuggets. One, um, so an essential activity that you should still be doing, uh, specifically with your finances, working through um, your AR and collecting money um, that is outstanding, and you should have increased efforts there um, and the capacity to do that. Number two is stay in contact with your patients, and if you um, can derive some financial um, income from that, whether it's uh, an e-visit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, e-visit or uh, telehealth. You should be um, getting knowledgeable on that. Most important thing is to stay in contact with your patients and continue to serve them through that so you can rebuild on the back end, um, which seg segues nicely into taking care of your staff as well. So um, apparently from the main purpose of the stimulus package, as Bob outlined, is to continue to uh, gainfully employ your staff and um, have them on payroll and that there is assistance for you um, uh, to accomplish that right now. So stay posted. You heard the disclaimers before and after, um, but hope this helps you out as a private practice owner. And Bob, thank you so much for doing this. This was great. You are welcome. Great. Hang in there, everyone. All right. Stay safe, everybody. And uh, this call was recorded. It will be posted um, to all the groups. Thanks. Thank you.